You may open your Bibles with me this morning to Job chapter 40 for our opening passage of Scripture. By God's grace in this assembly, we'll finish those attributes that we have categorized as His transferable or participatory or communicable attributes. Those being attributes that He shares with His children And so they can put these attributes and traits on themselves. God, if we only, if we only knew about his inherent attributes, those that are part of his personal divine nature, is worthy of all the glory and honor, praise, worship, love, and service we could ever give him. But in addition to those, he has shown us his declarative attributes those that have revealed Him to us, whether it be creation or providence, whether it be our consciences or His Word, whether it be His Spirit, He has shown us Himself so that we might know Him. And then He has shown us communicable attributes like holiness, and we can and should live a holy life, like love, which we should show toward our brothers. The first attribute that we want to consider this morning is his glory and majesty and beauty. And we're going to combine them together as adjectives and words and describing the splendid appearance and the perfections and the magnificence of those perfections that make up our God. When you pray, what image... Or place do you put yourself as you call upon him? Are you praying to the man upstairs, as some say? Are you asking to put your hand in the hand of the man, as they sang in 1970? Or do you have a vision of the regal majesty and splendid beauty and glorious power and emanations of the great God of heaven? Many of you already know that I love to pray to pray at a prayer chair where I can get down and grab the ankles of God as he sits on his throne. And you don't have to use my method to get yourself down and get the Lord up, but when we pray, we should get him up. And when we worship, we should get him up. And one of the ways we get him up is to put ourselves down. And Mark, bringing us Psalm 90 this morning, has already put us down in the dust where we belong and put the Lord up where we're asking for His beauty to be upon us and for Him to establish the work of our hands. For in our best estate, we're altogether vanity. And even if we're strong enough to live to be 80, the years of those strength are labor and trials and troubles and pain. Jacob lived for many years, but when he stood before Pharaoh, his description of his life was pitiful. But it was true, because he had suffered very much. We have a great God, and when we sing, what are you thinking of? When you sang, majestic sweetness sits enthroned upon the Savior's brow. Radiant glories in that song. Are you envisioning that you're in a throne room? in a palace, before a king, 
who is high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And the voice of them that cried shook the doors of the house. That's Isaiah chapter 6. Or were you thinking of the emerald rainbow, like a sardin stone, and the sea of crystal before his throne, and the four beasts with eyes within and without, and with three pair of wings, fluttering about in powerful might around his throne, crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We want to see the greatness and the glory of God because He wants us to see those things and He actually shares them with us, which may surprise you a little bit. But before I finish this first attribute this morning, I'll share some of those passages of Scripture with you. His glory, His beauty, and His majesty. His glory is His resplendent. That means His splendid, shining beauty. His glorious majesty and His magnificence are due to His many perfections. Everything about Him is perfect. He isn't decaying. He's never tired. He never has a bad hair day. All the things and excuses that we use, He has none of them. He's perfect. And He's gloriously perfect. And He's perfect in glory. And we want to rejoice in that. Glory is an effulgence of light such as is associated with our conception of heaven when we think of the glory of God. It's a state of exaltation or splendor. And so when we think of the glory of God, we want to think of His shining splendidness. When we think of His beauty, that's a combined perfection of form and a charm of coloring that affords keen pleasure to the sense of sight or to other senses including our intellectual or moral faculties, when we understand the inherent grace in a being like God. We are overwhelmed by the appearance and the combination of form and the factors coming together that make Him most delightful to look upon or to think upon or to meditate upon. Any faculty of our mind that perceives a combination that is very attractive and very pleasant to think about is beauty. You know what a beautiful house is. You know what a beautiful car is. You know what a beautiful woman is. Well, I tell you this morning about real beauty. God Himself. His majesty is the external magnificence befitting a sovereign. When we say the word majesty, like your majesty, we use that word to describe the regal, character, stateliness, or the aspect or demeanor of God as king. And so we see all these words, and we find them in the Bible, and they describe to us a picture of God that we want. We do not want God to be our buddy in the sky, though he was the friend of Abraham. We do not want God to be the man upstairs, because he's the God upstairs, and we're downstairs. We're on earth, therefore let our words be few, because God is in heaven. Is what the Bible tells us. You're in Job chapter 40. God wants you to know these things about Him. And He expects you to know these things about Him. Job chapter 40 and verse 10. God, the Lord Jehovah, appeals to Job and asks Him to do what He has done for Himself. Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency. 
and array thyself with glory and beauty. The words deck and the words array are verbs describing dressing yourself. So it's things that we see. You've never seen a king. The closest we get is to turn the television on and watch the Queen of England or her grandson get married, as we did a couple of years ago or a year ago. And so we see a little bit of regal splendor and a little bit of majesty and a little bit of crown jewels and a little bit of pomp, but we don't usually see it. You know, our president wears the same clothes we do, which very unusual in the history of the world. Kings wore different clothes. They wore royal apparel. And so they were observed as kings. And it's involving decking yourself with majesty and excellency. And it's arraying yourself with glory and beauty. But now the Lord Jehovah appeals to Job and says, You do that. I've done it. Show me that you're worthy of being in my presence. And see, Job isn't able to do any of that. He's got to take a bath bath every day because he's corrupting. And his clothes are rotting. And moths do corrupt clothing on earth, though efforts are made to preserve them. And so I want you to notice that God appeals to his majesty and his glory and his beauty and his excellency when he's describing himself to Job. And he wants Job to consider the difference between Job and him. And we want to consider the the distance and the difference between God and us in this respect of His glory, so that we give Him the glory that is due His name. Now, if the Lord will be merciful, this day we'll also consider how approachable He is. And actually, I've already taught you how knowable God is. That's why we have declarative attributes, because He wants you to know Him, and He wants you to draw nigh unto Him. But as you draw nigh unto Him, He expects you to remember that He is glorious, beautiful, majestic, and excellent in all aspects of his appearance. And I'm thankful that the Lord put it all together in one verse for us. Look over at Ezekiel chapter 1, and let's read a tiny little section about the glory of the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 1. We could spend weeks on looking at the places in Scripture that describe His glory or that refer to His glory, and will not do that. I want to start with the first verse. As Ezekiel gets a vision of God, the first verse has already told us. Verse 4, And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud, and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Also, out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and every one had four faces, and every one had four wings." And it goes on to describe them. Let's come to the verse 26 as this chapter closes out. Ezekiel is still describing what he saw. And above the firmament that was over their heads, 
these four living creatures, above the firmament that was over their heads, was the likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire, round about within it, from the appearance of his loins, even upward, and from the appearance of his loins, even downward. I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and it had brightness round about, as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. This is seeing God. And the Bible was not given to us with pictures, and God wants no graven images, so we don't make pictures of these passages that we read and worship them, but we want to read them and have word pictures in our minds of the glory of the Lord. Psalm 24, with me. Psalm 24. Amber and fire enfolding on itself and round about and within. And a a rainbow in all the brilliance of those colors. The Lord knows who invented color. Do you think the manufacturers of crayons invented color? Do you think Apple invented color? Or your painting program and your computer? The Lord invented color. And he delights in it. And he delights in showing it to us. Psalm 24, verse 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. We will meet him face to face very soon. We should be meeting him face to face today by faith. We are in his presence. We are in his house. His word is being opened. He is being described to you. Our hearts should be humbled. Our minds lifted up. And we should delight in him. And be thankful for him. And praise him. And worship him. As we have with our singing already. And the psalm goes on to repeat those questions. And the answer about the glory of the Lord. You read in Revelation chapter 4 last night about the glory of the Lord. The New Testament refers to it repeatedly. Where would you like to turn? Turn to Hebrews chapter 13 with me. Hebrews 13. What is the glory of God? It is His resplendent beauty or magnificence and effulgence of light such as is associated with our conception of heaven. It's a state of exaltation and splendor. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. It's overwhelming. It's crushing to men. And yet, as soon as we humble ourselves and fall before Him, what do we hear? But a voice. A voice that we can understand. A voice that says, as we read in Revelation chapter 1, Fear not. He's our God. He's our God. 
And he sent the Lord Jesus Christ for us to go right into his presence. You can go to him right now in your heart. With me. Without even an audible word. He knows the very thought that is in your tongue. Before it is spoken. In Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 20. Now the God of peace. That brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. That great shepherd of the sheep. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Make you perfect in every good work. To do his will. Working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You know the last verse because it's written by Paul. will have grace be with you all. Amen. But here it is to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Just common in the scriptures. Very common. Even in the New Testament to speak of the glory of God. If you look over to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11. If any man speak. If anyone opens his mouth in the house of God. If anyone's called to preach. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. That God in all things may be glorified. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Things haven't changed from the Old Testament to the New. Someone will read Ezekiel chapter 1 and think that that is an unusual description of God. And then you read the same thing last night in Revelation chapter 4. It hasn't changed. Both sides of the cross have God the same way. And we want to see Him in all His glory. And we want to conduct ourselves in such a way that brings Him glory. You know, when we look at Esther chapter 1 in our Bibles and we think about a king, because we've never had one ourselves, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job... If we make it over there to Esther chapter 1 in the 4th verse, it says this about the king Ahasuerus. That he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days. Even in hundred and fourscore days. He had a six month celebration to show off his regal splendor, his glorious majesty of his kingdom. Because he was a king. And that's what kings do. If we go and read the Queen of Sheba's account of seeing Solomon. So you've never seen anything like it. She was a queen. She was a wealthy queen. And yet the Queen of Sheba, who brought Solomon 120 talents of gold, when she saw the setting of his table, when she saw his ascending the stone, the the steps of of the temple of God, When she saw the way his servants conducted themselves, it says her spirit was no longer in her. She basically fainted at the glory of Solomon. And she said, I had heard stupendous things about you in my country, but the half had not been told me of the glory of your kingdom. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ could say, that Solomon was never arrayed in all his beauty like the lilies of the field. Mm -hmm. 
And listen, if God can so array the lilies of the field, of course he can take care of you, and you should get that out of Matthew chapter 6. But do you know what else? If God is able to so arrange and order and array weeds, we call them flowers. What's the difference? They're just things that are grow out of the ground. If God is so able to array a weed called the lily, what has he done to himself? Has he decked himself with some decent clothes? Has he arrayed himself with some glory? He wants us to see him that way. That's my point this morning. The beauty of the Lord is seen in his house. Brother Jerry already referred to that in his prayer in Psalm 27.4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. And to inquire in his temple. And see what we're doing this morning? We're beholding the beauty of the Lord from His Word, where His Word is preached in His house. It was the same way in David's day. David wanted to be in the house of the Lord, where the priests of the Lord and the Levites would read the Word of God. And he could read about the glory of the Lord being revealed to Moses. He could hear about the glory of God coming down on Mount Sinai, and the mountain was altogether on a smoke, like a blast furnace going up. David wanted us to behold the beauty of the Lord. Look at Psalm 96. Psalm 96. The glory of God. His beauty and His majesty. That is why we dress up a little for church. That is why we do things formally in our assemblies. We're in the presence of God. He hasn't changed. We reject casual worship. We reject contemporary worship. We don't want to change. We want the old paths. And the old paths are like this right here in Psalm 96 and verse 6. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. You know, the way that contemporary Christians worship in their casual assemblies, what heathen person would be impressed by their God? Think about it with me for a moment. It's no different than going to a rock concert in shorts, flip-flops, a tank top, and with a cup of Starbucks. We want moments of silence in this church. We want reverent worship. We're commanded to do so. But we want to lift up the God that reigns. We want to lift up the God with glory, with honor, with majesty, strength, and beauty are in His sanctuary. And we want to give Him that. The New Testament requires the same kind of worship as the Old Testament did. And the Old Testament is appealed to in these words, For our God is a consuming fire. That is straight out of Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 24. New Testament worship is to be reverent worship. But there's the beauty of the Lord that we can read about. Often it speaks of we worship Him in the beauty of holiness. He is so pure and nothing that defiles is near Him. It can't enter into His presence. The foolish shall not stand in His sight. It also declares His majesty. Look at 1 Chronicles 29. First Chronicles 29, here's a favorite verse of some of you. 
And it's a good verse. And it's worthy of being a favorite. Though there's many others that are worthy as well. First Chronicles 29 and verse 11. David blessed the Lord in these words. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. And we could go on and continue to read because it's delightful words here that should thrill your soul. They thrill mine. And I'm thankful for them. But this is describing his majesty, which is his regal splendor as a king, because it's describing his kingdom and that he is exalted as head above all. This is the glory of God. When you pray, do you pray to him as the glorious God? He is also our friend. But that is not the aspect or the facet of this diamond that makes up the character traits of God that we're looking at at this moment. Right now, we want to see it brilliant and beautiful and majestic. Amen. Look at Job 37. There are so many scriptures we could turn to, but we'll turn to a few and rejoice in them. Job 37 and verse 22. Fair weather cometh out of the north. A beautiful day is a magnificent thing. I get emails. I get phone calls. Have you been out of your office today to see what kind of a day the Lord's given us? Fair weather cometh out of the north. With God is terrible majesty. It is such glorious splendor of a king that it would strike terror into men's hearts that don't know he is our father. And he is our God. And he is our king. Touching the Almighty, we cannot find him out. He is excellent in power and in judgment and in plenty of justice. He will not afflict. Men do therefore fear him. He respecteth not any that are wise of heart. That's my God. Is that your God? He's glorious. A demonstration of authority and power is impressive. You know, the best we get to see in our country is when the president visits our little city and the helicopters overhead and the secret service on the buildings surrounding wherever he's going to appear and all of them wearing little wires in their ears and all of them with lumps under their suit coats that are somewhat larger than a 38 special. And we see all the police cars called out and the roads shut down so that he can travel in a unique automobile surrounded by other unique automobiles, and we see a little bit of power. We see a little bit of authority. We see a little bit of majesty. But it's nothing. It's nothing like Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had some majesty. And the God of heaven has some majesty, and we want to see him that way. We want to find great delight in it. Look at Psalm 63. What should, how should this affect us? The, the glory, the majesty, and the beauty of God. Psalm 63, O God, Thou art my God. This is the first verse. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see Thy power and Thy glory... 
so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. David missed the worship of God and wanted to see the power, and my emphasis this morning, the glory of the Lord. Do you thirst for it? Do you seek for it? Do you long for it? Because no one else hardly in our nation wants to exalt God and exalt His worship and make His worship reverent. So that when you hear from me or from any others criticizing other worship services, even those that may have more truth than those we call mega churches or contemporary churches, they play with the worship of God. They wander in. They talk while the singing is going on because it's all a joke. It's not formal. It's not reverent. It's not serious. It's not holy. It doesn't exalt God. It doesn't please Him. He's not impressed by you hugging somebody while you're singing. That is a tradition of men to reduce the worship of God to a picnic. All of you, I hope that you'll just let the Word of God feed your soul and your mind and that we will always worship God according to the Scriptures in this church. Right. No wonder David wanted to build a temple that was exceeding magnificent, and we should want to build a temple that's exceeding magnificent right here. We should want our assemblies formal, beautiful, glorious, majestic in the worship that they direct toward God. Not toward any of us. No entertainment, no fun, no pleasure, except in the fact that we find our delight and our pleasure in God Himself. Amen. Worshipful praise is the chief means that we give God glory. Singing is a means that we praise Him. But our singing is to be done with the understanding. It is not to make a noise. Right. It is to be done with the understanding where we exhort and admonish and teach one another. We are to be thinking upon those words and meditating upon them and doing it with our minds. It's not just our vocal cords and it's not just our heart. It's the combination of them all together that makes singing that pleases God. And we want to lift up our voices when we're singing great words about Him. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. How should you be thinking in your mind and feeling in your heart and expressing it with your mouth when you sing such words. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. It doesn't get much better than that in life. What do you think you were made for? The cherubim and the seraphim, the living creatures around the throne of God, they do it 24-7. And they're created a much higher level than you. But you have been blessed above them. Before this day is over, I want you to know that they are not part of the family of God, and you are. We can approach unto Him. It's not that He's unapproachable. He just wants us to come to Him with some reverence. That's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not to run and hide from God. The fear of the Lord is to run to God, but to run to Him the right way. That He's glorious in all His ways. Oh, Lord. Look at Psalm 45. Psalm 45 with me. Remember, for every attribute, I want to declare it and prove it from the Bible. I want to show what effect it should have on us. And then I want to show in these transferable attributes that he shares them with us. Even this one. Glory, beauty, and majesty. You say, I don't believe it. I was hoping you'd say that. Psalm 45. This is describing the marriage of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King 
who's described in verses 1 through 6 and 7, quoted in Hebrews chapter 1 about the Lord Jesus, his marriage to the church. Verse 11, So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. The king shall greatly desire our beauty. Is that crazy? It's beautiful. It's the crazy gospel. It's the foolishness of preaching. That is the power and the wisdom of God to all of us that believe. That God has made us beautiful by putting upon us the array, the the raiment of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so He makes us beautiful in His sight. We've already had read to us Psalm 90 and verse 17, unbeknownst to my nephew, that may the beauty of the Lord be upon us. The Lord is able to put some of His beauty upon us. The Lord put some of His beauty upon His glory upon Moses. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, there was a problem. The problem was there was no CVS. Without a CVS, Israel couldn't get sunglasses. Because there were no sunglasses, what did Moses have to do? Put a veil over his face because the glory of the Lord was shining out from the face of Moses. Moses prayed that God would put some of his beauty on the church. Isn't that exciting? The Lord is able to make this church beautiful in ways that we cannot. And I'm not talking about manicured lawns, nor am I talking about fresh paint, nor new carpet. We are talking about in this church worship that is acceptable in His sight and is moving to visitors that come in among us. Oh Lord, help us to do that for you. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The glory and the beauty and the majesty. Women and wives and girls, we sometimes say that you are the fairer sex. And in certain respects, and with defined limitations, we mean that. You are beautiful. Your feminine features that God gave you are beautiful and fairer to men. They don't get moved the same way when they look at another man as they do when they look at a woman. However, the point that I'm making right now is the glory, the majesty, and the beauty of God And the glory of God is in the man. And in the woman, she's the glory of the man. Because there's a difference made there. Let me read two verses to you out of 1 Corinthians 11. Much more could be said, but it has been said, and it shall be said if it's needed to be said. Hopefully you can get it from these two verses. Verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 11, I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. If you will think about glory, majesty, and beauty, it starts with God. It comes to Christ. It comes to the man. It comes to the woman. The headship runs woman, man, Christ, God. Jesus Christ will be subordinate to God through all eternity, as He is right now, according to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 28. The woman is subordinate to the man, the man subordinate to Christ. And that's the order God's given because of the glory and the power and the authority of descending rank that God gave those four parties. 
God himself being God, Christ being his son, in his mediatorial role as the man Christ Jesus, he's under God, we as men, his brethren, though joint heirs, are subordinate to him. The head of every man is Christ, and, and the man's the head of the woman. We come to verse 7. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head. You don't wear hats in church, men. When prayer is made, our nation knows the hat comes off. Is that still true in the military? Where did that come from? (laughs) Yes, we like things like this. And it was to be understood. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. This is reflected glory. We men reflect the glory of God by their position of authority and leadership. Women reflect the glory of the man by being designed for him as a creature of companionship and pleasure. But that's the order. And a man ought not to cover his head because then he is shutting down the reflected glory of God because the men are in charge in public assemblies. And a woman, if she was going to pray or prophesy, had better have a hat on. In 1 Corinthians 11. You know, when you work on the job, I want you to remember that when you're on the job, your performance should reflect the glory of God because you are serving the Lord Christ. And so we come to the end of a brief survey of the glory, majesty, and beauty of God. Much, much more could be said. You know, when we have a president, we want our president to use his executive powers. We want to pray that he doesn't use his executive powers against us. But there isn't a thing in the world wrong with executive power. If it makes you nervous because you're so constitutional, sometime you ought to get scriptural. Because there's no division of power in the Bible. We want to see some power. Because you know what the Bible says is beautiful? A greyhound is beautiful, and a he-goat is beautiful, and a lion is beautiful, and a king against whom there is no rising up is beautiful. Where does that beauty come from? Because it's transferred from the God of heaven, who's the king over all, to a king on earth. And we want to see some of that, because we want authority exalted in our nation, so that from the top down, when it comes down to fathers with their children, they have an example in the highest office in the land, that they use authority and they have some glory attached to it. Instead of ridicule or instead of rebellion being raised against it. Enough about that. I don't like to ever even talk about politics at all. Not even in the slightest way. But I'm trying to describe to you that in the Bible there are things that God says are beautiful. And what are they? A king against whom there is no rising up. Turn to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Let's look at the second attribute we want to cover this morning. I hope that you got something out of the glory, majesty, and beauty of God in that it will help you pray differently, in that it will remind you why we worship the way we do, in that when you speak of God, you'll speak of Him reverently. You know, we don't tell jokes about heaven or God or Jesus in this church. You should never tell those kind of jokes. That's using the name of God in vain. That is is worse than foolish jesting or foolish talking. That is profane blasphemy. 
when we sing, my brethren, when you open those hymnals, it's a sober, serious moment. You are voicing words to Almighty God and to each other. Our hearts should be in it. Our minds should be in it. Our voices should reflect the degree of the passion that we have for that being and the degree of reverence that we have. We don't have some long-haired, pretend hippie up here strumming on some guitar to beat away with some amplified level of music. The melody is to come out of our hearts. And what kind of a melody should it be? Worthy of a king. Revelation 4.11 Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. So we are connected to what we've just covered. For Thou hast created all things... And for thy pleasure, they are and were created. Let me show you briefly that God does have pleasure, joy, and delight. This being that is omnipotent, that is omniscient, that is independent, that is eternal, that is immortal, that is invisible. This God takes delight in things. He is pleased. He is made glad. He rejoices with joy. Yes, he does. Amen. We want to know what things he delights in so that we can delight in them as well. We want to live in such a way that he delights in us because he does delight in his children. And he especially delights in his obedient children. He takes pleasure in them. He takes pleasure in them. Now, you may have been a little discouraged thinking about his glory, majesty, and beauty. You shouldn't have been unless you're off in one of those ditches crawling through the thorns the spent beer cans, the used baby diapers, and everything else that is thrown out of windows into ditches. That's where you chose to go because I didn't put you there. Because His glory and majesty and beauty is not something that should intimidate us or scare us to look for a ditch. It should draw us to Him. He's our Father. And He can take delight in us. And He does take delight in us. Oh, he looks at things and he says, that's good. Do you remember Genesis chapter 1? He just kept repeating it. Do you remember? And the Lord saw, and it was good. And in the evening and the morning were the first day. And the Lord saw, and it was good. The Lord thinks it's good. You ought to think that it's good. When you look at the heavens, did we have a decent day yesterday? Oh, the sky... Are you able to understand any of these words of color that are used in Revelation 4 or Ezekiel chapter 1 when you see a sky stretched out like that? How about the amber color of the sun? How about a fire enfolding upon itself when you see that sun? Now, Ezekiel saw something better than just sunshine. But even when we see sunshine, we should be moved by it. And we should rejoice in it. He delights in it. He said it was good. We should say it was good. Look at Job 38. Job 38, God made creatures called angels, and those angels get excited and jump around and shout and rejoice and praise and sing when they see things that are good. And do you know what one of them is? This is mind-blowing. When we repent of our sins, a sinner that repents, that is how excited God gets. We get excited when someone we love 
has been wandering around in the filth of sin like a prodigal son, and he comes home. We get excited. We want to celebrate. Oh, but it, it's just a little token of what's going on in heaven. Luke 15 describes that repeatedly. Job 38. The angels. Verse 4. This is Elihu. No, this is the Lord. We have switched from Elihu to the Lord at verse chapter 38. Verse 4, where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding, who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. The angels shouted for joy when they heard, Let there be light. And there was light. The morning stars are the angels of heaven. And the sons of God are the angels of heaven. They sang together and they shouted for joy. And we should shout. How many days has it been since you went outside and went, Wow! Look at this! Sherry! Well, you don't need to add the last word because she's not there. Do you shout for joy? Do you give a wow? The angels do. Where'd the angels come from? God created them. Why are the angels like that? Because God created them without sin. They're not messed up with the NFL, the NBA, or the NCAA. They don't really care about Notre Dame squeaking by a bunch of weak opponents this year to end up 12-0, and just like if you pitched a penny long enough, you could get 12 tails, and a tail best describes that university. Oh, Lord, help us to take joy and delight and pleasure in the things that you take joy, delight, and pleasure in. Look at Jeremiah chapter 9. Now, you know this passage very, very well. And you may be thinking to yourself, can't you think of any new ones? Well, why don't you read my outline and see how many new ones you find? But right now, I want to take you to a passage you know well and make you think about a different aspect of it. We usually are thinking about the word glory. That we shouldn't be glorying in our riches. We shouldn't be glorying in our strength or our wisdom. We should be glorying in the Lord. Jeremiah 9.23, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches. This is what the world gets excited about. The world gets excited about the three things in verse 23. Their academic and educational accomplishments, their physical athletic accomplishments, and their professional financial accomplishments. That's it. That's life. If you're successful, you are successful in one of those three areas. And then glory in it. They get excited about it. They rejoice in it. Verse 24, here's what we should be getting excited about. But let him that glorieth, glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. My emphasis right now is on the word delight and what the Lord delights in. We're supposed to be glorying in the Lord because He delights in these three things right here. Loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. And if He delights in them, we should delight in them. And we should be showing them in our lives as well as He does. Why did He save us according to the doctrines of election and predestination? Ephesians chapter 1. For the good 
pleasure of His will. He saved us for His pleasure. Why does He hide the truth from some and give it to others? Because it seemed good in His sight. Just like creation seemed good in His sight. That's the way I want to do it. That's the way that pleases me. God works in us us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. God has put it in you. The will to do it. And He will put in you the strength to do it. If you'll work out that salvation with fear and trembling, we can please the God that takes delight in His servants. Lord, help us to do this. What does God take delight in? Obedience or sacrifice? As Samuel reasoned with King Saul. Obedience. Obedience. He takes delight in it. He took delight in David. You know that, don't you? He took delight in David. Did any of you read 2 Samuel 7 last night? Did you want to cry? Did you want to shout? Did you want to do both? That is God and David trading back and forth on who can outgive the other. Who won? Of course. (laughs) The Lord won. And what did David spend the second half of that exchange doing? Oh Lord, (laughs) great idea. Do it. Please do it. Be sure you do it. You've spoken your word. Now do it. Let it be true. The Lord took pleasure. Look at Psalm 18. We could turn to many places about David. Do you remember the place where it says in 1 Chronicles, the Lord, the Lord liked me. The Lord liked me. Out of all the tribes of Israel, he liked Judah. Out of all the families of Judah, he liked Jesse. And out of Jesse's sons, and he had a lot, and I was the last. <clears throat> I was number eight out of eight. He liked me. It's It's precious. To see these things. Look at verse 19. The Lord. It's, he speak, David is speaking about the Lord. This psalm is in the Bible twice. Right. It is in 2 Samuel 22. And it's right here. Psalm 18, 19. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me. Because he delighted in me. You know the Lord. As he talked with David in 2 Samuel 7. Said you were out in a sheep coat. You were taking care of sheep. You were the little brother. You were the baby brother. You were the one left at home. Your big studly brothers were off in the military. You're at home taking sheep. Look what I did for you. you, What do you think? And David responded by saying, Look what you've done for me. Look at hitherto. Did did you see the word hitherto? Where you've brought me? You took me from a sheepfold all the way to the throne of your nation. And you've given me victory over all my enemies. I've, I've beat everyone. I have forts on the Euphrates, on the Nile, on the other side of the Red Sea, in the Jor- on the other side of the Jordan, all the way to the coast of the Mediterranean. Hitherto hast thou brought me. But now, O Lord, who am I that you are also saying something about my house forever? Did, right. you, did you catch All that wonderful exchange? This is not the way of God dealing with men. At least men of low degree. Only some exceptional man. And Lord, thou knowest thy servant. You know I'm a sinner. 
You know all my secret faults. And look, look what you've done with me. And look what you're going to do to my whole house. And you also know I don't know how to express myself right now. But I'm trying to do my best. Because you've spoken of thy servant <clears throat> for a great time to come. Yes, called eternity. Amen. I was amused by that last night. A great time to come. Forever. Mind-blowing to David. How did all that happen? Because the Lord takes pleasure in his servants and he delights in his sons like David. And every one of you is capable of being a David in here, whether you're boy, girl, man, or woman. It's just to have a heart that loves to make God's worship exceeding magnificent. You love to talk about him and you love to lift him up and make him great. Your delight is in him. His delight will be in you. It is that simple. No one delighted in God like David did in the Bible. That's why we have all these psalms and we have all these descriptions of worship and we have all this work of his to gather the money for the temple so that we might know that about how a man could delight the God of heaven. Look at Psalm 147. Psalm 147. This is God. We're learning about God. These are his attributes. He is glorious and majestic and beautiful. But he also has joy, delight, and pleasure in things. And we should learn that and then want to fulfill that to where we are his pleasure, joy, and delight. Psalm 147, verse 10. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. Secretariat is something he brags about. But it's not one of his chief joys. It doesn't impress him that much. That dumb, brute beast that has to be kept in with a bridle and reins and a whip to get it to do anything. They're lazy and they're stubborn. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. Usain Bolt doesn't get God excited. You say, who is Usain Bolt? He's won the 100 meters the last two Olympics, so he's the world's fastest man in the last two Olympics. That's the title given to the man that wins the 100 meters in an Olympic Games. Verse 11, the Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. Amen. Don't be afraid of God. Hope in his mercy. Because he delights in those that hope in his mercy. He wants us to fear him, but it's not fear of being afraid of him. It's fear of reverent worship of him and it's hope in his mercy. That is what pleases the Lord. Usain Bolt gets all the world's attention. Those that fear the Lord and hope in his mercy get the Lord's attention and get heaven's attention and they get extra angels and there's extra joy over them. Are you one of them? Right. Lord, help us. So what should you do? He's given you joy, delight, and pleasure. You are able to take pleasure in things. You know what happens? We have our spirit and our flesh, our new man and our old man. And the old man wants to find pleasure, delight, and joy in the things of this world. The new man wants to find pleasure, joy, and delight in the things of God. And you have to make the choice in between the two of them. Because there's a third person in there and it's you. Go read Romans chapter 7, the last 10 verses, and find the three people that are there. Paul, and his old man, and his new man. And who makes a decision? You make the decision. 
by God's mercy and grace, and he'll be faithful if you'll take a step of faith and put on that new man and put off the old man. We're called to glory in the Lord and to delight in those things that he delights in. We should glory and delight in each other as well. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9. I'm about done here. Nehemiah chapter 9. I don't want to bury you with too many verses. I don't want to bury you with too many thoughts. I just want you to think about the fact that God is glorious, beautiful, and majestic. And I want you to think about the fact that He takes pleasure and joy and delight in things. And He takes pleasure in His people. And He takes delight in His servants. And He delighted in David. And look what it did for David. Did David have problems in his life? It wasn't God's fault. It was David's fault. Because David said, Although my house be not so with God, yet... God is always the merciful one. God is always the faithful one, even when we're faithless or foolish. Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 25. This is describing the church of God when they took the land of Canaan. You may wonder to yourselves sometimes, why do I call the Old Testament saints or the Old Testament Israel the church of God? That's because it's called that, the church in the wilderness in Acts chapter 7. And they took strong cities and a fat land and possessed houses full of all goods, wells digged, vineyards and olive yards and fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. We can get delight. Now the world is getting delight in all sorts of carnal things. We should be getting delight in spiritual things and those natural things that God has legitimately given to us to enjoy, which is what we just celebrated in our nation's day of thanksgiving this past Thursday. Notice, they were filled, we are. We They became fat, he's not speaking about obesity or body weight, but fullness of health and pleasure, and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. And so we should be delighting ourselves in God's great goodness. And we should be delighting in Him. And we should be sharing that delight with others. Look at Psalm 34. Psalm 37 and verse 4. A verse that you've heard many times. A verse that should be up there high in our list of goals for our lives. Psalm 37, 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. The first half of the verse is by far the most important part. Delight thyself also in the Lord. The Lord delights in things. The Lord delights in us. But He especially delights in us when we delight in Him. That's why. And He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. The more a man delights in the Lord, the more the Lord is going to show that man. Delight in Him. Rejoice in Him. Find your pleasure in Him. Get excited about Him. Share that excitement with others. Get excited about 2 Samuel chapter 7. Understand what bothers me when I read through that chapter. Under, find what bothers you when you read through that chapter. I'll never get tired of that chapter. David understood this is strange. This is beyond all expectations and ordinary course of things that God should talk with a man like this. But I want to tell you something. No man ever talked to God like David had. Never read anything like that from the Apostle Paul. You say, well, you're getting awfully picky there to pick on Paul. Oh, I know that Paul loved the Lord. He spoke about his glory all the time, but Paul never had a chance to sit around and think about it. 
Okay, so let's give him some, let's give him some rope and some mercy. He never had a chance to sit in his home and look around and say, this isn't right. God's in a tent and I'm here. We'll do something for him. That, what can you do for the Lord? You know, a brother in the church a few weeks ago wanted us to have a celebration for the Lord. Right. A brother a year or two ago wanted us to have a celebration for the Lord. Some of you serve the church, and you do it for the Lord's sake. Do you get excited about the Lord, His weather, His church, His word, His worship, His singing, and all the things that we do in, in our services? It, while you're in Psalms, look at Psalm 94 and verse 19. Psalm 94 and verse 19. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. Do you have a multitude of thoughts? Is your mind always working? Did you know you're always thinking? Say, I don't think all the time. Okay, then don't think right now. Do you know what you're thinking about? Not thinking. You're always thinking. 19 says, in the multitude of my thoughts. Do you have a multitude of thoughts? I'm speaking to some of you more than to others. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. Has God comforted you anyway? Is Is there any consolation and comfort in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit? That's what Philippians 2 asks. Has he comforted you with food like the largest piece of crab meat you've ever pulled off a leg? Has the Lord ever comforted you? Oh, yes, I heard about that. The Lord is good. A brother in here wasn't, wasn't going to settle for turkey. He wanted crab legs. And one of his children came and told me about finding the largest piece of meat together, intact, ever. And he praised God for it at the table. That's what I'm talking about. And I love to hear it through the grapevine. So many verses could be read. Oh, Lord, you are worthy of all the delight we can ever give you. Christians should be the happiest, the most exalting. That's not with an A. That's with a U. E-X-U-L-T-I-N-G is a verb describing being excitedly joyful. Christians should be exalting that way and joyful people on the planet. Are you one of them? Where have I failed you? Help me. I'll do better. Or where have you failed the Lord? Or where have I failed the Lord? You know that merry heart, if you'll have it, the Bible even says it'll do good like a medicine. That's right. It'll improve your whole physical health. Amen. Proverbs chapter 15 teaches us that. Proverbs chapter 17 teaches us that. Do you delight in the Lord? What have we learned this morning? We have learned that God is a glorious, majestic, beautiful being. And we should be excited about seeing that in the pages of Scripture, seeing that in the preaching of His Word, seeing that in the singing of hymns of praise to Him, see it in His creation. We should imagine by the word pictures that the Bible gives us of how glorious God is. We should go to Him in prayer that way. We should sing to Him that way. And we should conduct ourselves that way as Christians. We should come in here and have formal, solemn, sober, intelligent, Worship. When we conduct ourselves in a job, we should look like we're children of the king. If you're a husband and a father, you should conduct yourself with a dignity of office that reflects God's glory on you. 
The Lord is so particular that even in the New Testament, a small article of clothing called a hat or a veil that would cover a woman's head was required in church on them when they opened their mouths, but it was not to be on any man's head when he opened his mouth because he is the image and the glory of God in the New Testament. That's how important it is. Do you conduct yourself like a son of God? You men, this church is a a church for men in the sense that we put men in their proper place. And men in their proper place doing their job rightly, the women that live with them and live under them are blessed women. Let us fulfill that glory, majesty, and beauty of God. Let's remember that he takes pleasure, delight, and joy in things. He takes pleasure, delight, and joy in us. He rejoices when we repent. He delights in those that delight in him. Let's be like David. And every one of you can be like David. And God knows I have preached that to you many times. And God knows I have preached that to me many times. And I want to be like David. Do you want to be like David? Let's help each other be more like David. May the Lord God of heaven, the Lord Jehovah, who is glorious, majestic, and beautiful, who takes delight, pleasure, and joy in his servants, be pleased with this message. Amen. Amen.